I don't know if you remember, on the very first Sabbath of this month, the pastor presented his sermon with the title, In the Beginning. That was the day he asked me if I would take over for him on this Sabbath because he had to be away. And I thought about it while I sat somewhere out there in the pew, and I'm listening, in the beginning, well, does that mean there's an at the end? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about at the end on this last Sabbath of the month and of 2018. I found a story of a young boy who had a series of books, and the main hero in this story, he dearly loved this main hero, by the way, he was just his idol. He thought that he was valiant, he was courageous, he never disappointed him. He loved this series of books. He admired the hero because he stood for strength and integrity, and he had the ability to help those that were downtrodden. He, this main hero stood for truth and justice, and he made sure that it was done. So when the new book in the series came out, of course the boy was right there, ready to get this new book, brought it home and started reading. However, there was a problem. You see, his hero was beaten. He was downtrodden. The villain was winning. What is happening to my hero, he thought. He tossed the book aside. I, I, I could, just couldn't read the book. But as you know, we humans are kind of curious. And so he thought, I'll just read the last few pages of the book. So he got the book out again, and he started reading the last few pages. And lo and behold, he found out his hero wins. His hero was victorious. The villain is defeated. Okay, now he could take the book out and start over. And every time his hero got in some kind of trouble, he'd say, oh, if you only knew what I know. If you only knew what I know, he could encourage his hero on. You see, the book of Revelation is at the end of the Bible, and it's there so that we do know what he knows. And the quick summary of this story of Revelation and Revelation is Jesus wins. Amen. Amen. Revelation is written as an unveiling or a disclosure of who Jesus is. It's written in an apocalyptic style, which basically means that there's a lot of illustrations, a lot of symbols in the book. And today, I want to look at Revelation, but I'm not getting bogged down with these illustrations and these symbols. I want to take a look at Jesus and how he wins. It's a book about the final intervention of God to rescue his people. Revelation is also written in a dualistic style, which basically means that good and evil are presented, God's way and Satan's way, and you get to choose which avenue, which path you're going to um, proceed on. It starts out very, at the very first with, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's our Jesus. Don't be afraid. Oh, by the way, I read somewhere that there are 365 verses in the Bible that says, do not be afraid or don't fear. Now, I haven't been able to prove that that's true. However, I think it's a good 2019 project. 
And I'd be more than willing to have any of you who want to give me the verses you find that say, do not be afraid. I've already started and have a little bit of a list. But Revelation worships the Lamb. And today, as we look at the end and focus on this book, how the Lamb has restored what was messed up in Genesis. You see, Revelation 21, oh, well, actually, Revelation 20, we've got a little typo there, undoes what happens in Genesis 3. In Revelation 20, the evil one is destroyed. He's beaten. He's destroyed forever. Evil is gone. Revelation 21 is a redo of Genesis 2. In other words, what was ruined by sin is now redone. And Revelation 22 restores Genesis 1. Eden that was lost is restored. We want to look at some of the reasons how this can happen and why. Why is it possible? So as we look today at a few of the um, evidences of Revelation, we see the lamb. The lamb is very prevalent in Revelation. And the first thing that we find in Revelation is the lamb is the alpha and the omega, the great assurance right away from the very beginning. Um, it's tough to live in the in-between, you know? In between what has already happened and what is not quite yet here. In other words, Jesus has already gotten the victory, but he's not yet come to claim that victory and to acknowledge the victory. So here we wait. And Revelation starts out with a paraphrase of Revelation 1.8. Hang in there, he says. I am the A to Z, and there's absolutely no way for you to miss the destination. Jesus is there on every part of our journey. So where does that leave us? In Revelation 1-4, he again announces grace and peace come from him, from the one. Grace and peace come from our hero, who is, who was, and who is to come. Woohoo! That is unchangeable assurance. The great I am loves you right now. He already released you from your sins and he is coming back for you. You see, Jesus is coming back for you because he simply refuses to go through eternity without you. That's how important it is for him to be with you. So if you only knew what I know, you won't be afraid. And the Lamb makes sure you have that assurance from the very beginning of his book. The next picture we see of the Lamb is as a lion. Kind of paradoxical that a Lamb is a lion. But Revelation 4, if you know a little bit about the book, Revelation 4 is a huge celebration, a huge worship service in heaven about all of the universe coming there to worship God and the Lamb. As a matter of fact, the very last verse of it says, worthy is the lamb because he is created. However, Revelation 5 starts out with a very big problem. You see, there's this scroll or book, and it's sealed up tight. It's locked. There's no way to get... Nobody knows the password to get into this book. It's... Nobody is found that can open it, undo it, unlock it. And John says right there in his book, he wept uncontrollably 
because he knew this scroll contained humanity's history and where is the redemption that is necessary to get humanity out of the situation that they're stuck in. Oh, wait, there is one found. It's the Lion of Judah who has overcome and is able to unlock the sealed book. But when John turns around to see who this lion is, what does he see? A slain lamb. You see, the lamb has become the lion of Judah and has provided the redemption necessary to open this book and unlock humanity's history. Redemption is promised. The victory of the lion of Judah is because there was a sacrificial death of the lamb. Humanity's history is purchased back and they live perfectly because of that redeeming love. Who is it that was worthy to reveal the destiny of humankind? Only the one that redeemed them. The redemption of the lamb means that he can open this book and, relieve them, and redeem them. Excuse me. The next few verses of, the, of Revelation answer a few questions. They answer when. When did the lamb come to be victorious? At the cross. What did the lamb accomplish? He purchased humanity. He paid the price that they owed in order to purchase them back. How? How did he do that? Through his blood. A very high price indeed, but he purchased them through his blood. Who? Who did he redeem? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. You see, he redeemed, and right there it says it, right there it says, he redeemed all peoples, all nations, all kindreds, all tongues and people. There's no one excluded. You can't be excluded from the redemption that's possible because of the Lamb. And for whom? This is almost even more exciting. For whom did he purchase it? For God. God and the lamb are in this together. You see, the lamb isn't begging God to accept his purchase. God is in it with the lamb. He's already anxious for this to happen. For, and this celebration is sung in Revelation 5.12. And by the way, today, whenever you see a blank or an empty space, add your name. Add your name as you read it. And Sharon said, worthy is the lamb that was slain, for he redeemed the earth. Revelation is all about the, re the redemption, this part of Revelation that's revealing Jesus. Okay, the next revelation that we find of, of the lamb, the lamb becomes the shepherd. That's a little paradoxical, a lamb being a shepherd, but it's revealing how he provides all that is needed. You see, by the time we get to Revelation 7, we see the angels holding back the winds of strife and holding back the troubles so that the lamb can seal those who are his own. Now, I realize most of us in today's world probably don't understand this sealing thing very well. Um, but 
in the first century here, everybody had a, a family ring, a seal, and everything they owned would have this seal on it. It represented their ownership and their responsibility or their promise to take care of what they owned. Um, most of us in today's world don't seal what we own, although what we own, we usually want to make sure we provide for. If you own a car, you're going to make sure it's maintained. If you have a house, you keep up with the maintenance of it. Um, but we don't necessarily use the seal, so sometimes this is lost in, in um, our modern society. But Revelation is about the redeemed and a celebration where everything that's needed for this celebration is provided by the Lamb, right down to what you wear. The lamb is there as the shepherd because he's providing for you. And verse 17 of um, this chapter tells us that the lamb has become the shepherd. The minute I said the lamb is the shepherd, it probably brought to your mind the psalm about the shepherd. And I'm sure in first century Hebrew, when they were reading this letter that John wrote to them, when he mentions that the lamb is going to shepherd his people, would have thought of that great psalm that David wrote about the lamb that would be coming in um, Psalms 23. Read it with me. The lamb is Sharon's shepherd. The lamb makes Sharon lie down in green pastures. You see, you get to lie down and relax. He's provided everything you need, and you don't have to go looking for it. The lamb leads, you leads Sharon beside still waters. It's not splashing in your face where you can barely get a drink. They're nice and calm. He's provided, again, the water. The lamb restores Sharon's soul. The lamb, as the shepherd, has provided everything that is needed by his sheep, by his children. The next picture of the lamb is the victor. It's time for celebration. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to a sports game where the hometown team won. Probably some of you have been to a high school game and they've won of some sort. And it's, it's grand and you have a celebration. I remember, and as most of you know, I lived in Canada for several years, and I was there in 92 and 93, do I have to say that far back, when the Blue Jays won the World Series. I was at one of those games where they had to win. The incredible experience of being in this dome with 50,000-plus people all cheering that their hometown team would win. And when they did, there was jumping and hooting and hollering and trumpets blaring and firecracks going off, firecrackers going off. It was just, it's an electrifying experience. It's something that I can't hardly describe because you've got to experience it. The joy, and, and when it opened and they flowed out into the streets, you've got a couple of million people celebrating. You see, Revelation 14 is about this celebration. How do I know that? Because the very first verse of Revelation 14 says, And the Lamb was on Mount Zion. 
Mount Zion to every Jewish person, every first century Christian meant a victory celebration. It's the final victory. This is huge. This is the final victory, and it's a celebration ready to take place. The, Lord, the lamb is triumphant. He is re- triumphant over evil. He has redeemed his children. Here at the end, Jesus wins. And now this triumphant lamb and the merciful God send out three letters. Three letters are sent out by three messengers. The first letter is telling us to worship the creator. Why? Because he has finally declared who are his own. It's time to praise God because he has declared his own as righteous as the lamb. You see, that's what the judgment is all about. When you read the letter, it talks about the judgment. And the judgment is saying, aha, this one has chosen to pursue the path of Christ's way. And it's a celebration taking place because they are worshiping the God that has declared them as righteous as the Lamb. The second letter is reminding us that the villain's kingdom has fallen. There's no more evil coming there. It's gone. He's fallen. And our third letter is evil's erased. It's a reminder that God knows who are his people. The redeemed, by trusting the Lamb, who has provided everything they needed, pledge their allegiance to the Lamb by upholding his commands. It's at this point that Revelation introduces the plagues. And this can be a little bit of a what's going on here kind of thing. The plagues are representative of God's wrath on evil. It's time to get rid of the evil that has been so hurting those who are his own. And it's, of course, reminiscent. If anybody reads it, the first thing you think of is the Exodus plagues. And if you remember, those plagues were done in order to release God's children from slavery. The plagues guaranteed that his people left slavery, they crossed the Red Sea, evil was destroyed, and we have a huge celebration of about two or three million people. Exodus 15, sometimes read it about the songs they sing, about the hooting, the hollering, the screaming, the jumping, the dancing, probably even firecrackers going off, I don't know, I'm sure horns were blowing. But that was a huge celebration of a couple of million people because they were released from slavery. How do you think the uncountable multitude that are redeemed from earth slavery to sin and evil are going to celebrate? Can you imagine the celebration from not just a couple of million, but an uncountable multitude praising and singing? And (sighs) it's just all nations come before and worship the Lamb for his righteousness as righteous acts have been revealed. His righteousness has been revealed and uncountable multitude from all nations have come together to praise and honor God. Can you better understand a little bit of the song that was sung, of the song that will be sung when the redeemed are finally able to worship God? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb his child, and forever 
I am. Another woohoo moment. But now we're getting into the nitty-gritty that we started to talk about at the beginning. You see, the lamb is now introduced as a bridegroom. How could God demonstrate the magnificent love that he has for his human race? How could he show the depth, the length, the breadth, the width of a love so intense that he was willing to die for them to a human race whose grandest feelings come far short? Usually in the Bible, he tries to demonstrate that by using the parent-child relationship or the husband-wife relationship. That's probably why Satan tries to destroy both as best he can. But you see, Revelation 19 starts out with the words, Hallelujah. The only place in all of the New Testament where Hallelujah is used is right here in Revelation 19. Probably because Hallelujah is a word that comes from two Hebrew words. One, halal, I think I had said that right, which means to praise, and Yahweh, which is God's name. So basically, the first three hallelujahs in Revelation 19 are about praise to God. Praise God because he has intervened to judge and deliver his people. But now, in a crescendo of intensity, we get to Revelation 6. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Here is a grand celebration of a wedding. Now, as we get to know the groom better, remember that in Genesis 3, God promised that he would never let go of his bride, that he would crush evil, and he gave two reasons, basic reasons, that we'll look at today. One was um, revealed in Leviticus 25 that talks about the plan of redemption. It's a goal, goel, which is basically a kinsman redeemer. And I'm going to look at that in a minute. But right now, I want to look at what a first century Hebrew wedding looked like. You see, the first thing that happened was that the groom would travel from his house to the bride's father's house and pay the dowry. From this point on, they were considered husband and wife. You see, Jesus came to the bride's father's house, came to this earth, and paid a huge dowry. The second step in, the, in a Hebrew wedding was that the groom would then return to his house, and there he would prepare a place for he and his bride to stay, to live. And the bride stayed at her father's house and prepared herself for the wedding. God promised in, in 1 John, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again. And that's the third part of the Hebrew wedding. The, when the new home and the bride are both ready, the groom comes back to gather his own. He comes back, and the wedding ceremony is taking place at the bride's father's house, and the groom takes the whole procession to his house, and there is a grand feast, a grand reception, if you will. 
Now, how does the bride make herself ready, prepare for the wedding? How can the bride get herself ready? If any of you know what a modern-day wedding is like, the bride spends an awful lot of time getting ready. We are in the throes of preparing a wedding, and it's going to be a small one, and it's still pretty intense. You have to choose your dress, perhaps multiple visits, and then there's a bunch of fittings and alterations. The bride probably has to have her hair done, maybe cut and colored and trimmed and, and done up. There's probably a pedicure, a facial, a massage maybe, manicures. I mean, on and on goes the list of what the bride is going to do to prepare herself for this wedding. However, in this wedding, we just learned the grooms provided everything. And when you look in Revelation 19, you see everything's ready. The transportation, the robes, everything that's needed is already there, provided, and it's all in white. Everything is white. Oh, except for the groom's robe. His has been, his is red. Just as a reminder of the dowry that he paid. So you see, in this wedding, what does the bride need to do to get herself ready? John, 1 John 4.19 tells us she just loves him back because he first loved her. Are you ready for this wedding? You see, all of heaven is excited about this wedding, and they have said, come, let us show you who the bride is. Let us show you this. It's time for you to get out your wedding invitation. You're invited to the marriage of the bride and the lamb. Come. That's all you need to say. Come, be a part of this wedding. That's what the Lamb wants you to know. Just come. Okay, the last picture of the Lamb I'm going to look at today is the Lamb is the beginning and the end. Restoration. I don't know if any of you remember a story um, quite some time ago now November 1, 2010, 2019, or 10, excuse me, 2010, was set as the trial date for Brian David Mitchell. He was the prime suspect in a June 2002 kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. She was abducted from her bedroom in her house in Salt Lake City in the middle of the night. She was only 14 years old. And fortunately in this case, she was found nine months later by a citizen who recognized um, Brian from a photo that had been circulated. And that was because the whole town was behind this. The whole town was anxious for her safe return. Blue ribbons were everywhere, showing that they supported we're praying for, we're hoping for the safe return of Elizabeth. And so when she was found and they knew about it, signs went up everywhere. Down came the blue ribbons and signs were up everywhere saying, Elizabeth, welcome home. All through the streets, all through the town, Elizabeth, welcome home. But probably one of the most impressive things that I remember what that impressed me from the reading this story was an interview that the father 
Ed Smart had with a reporter. He said, I was in the police car on my way home, and I just had to call my wife. And I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. Elizabeth is alive, and she's here in my arms. Can you hear God saying, you are not going to believe this? Put your name there. Sharon is alive, and she is here in my arms. The last chapter of Revelation is all about the reunion of God and his children and the complete restoration and recreation of this earth. And as we mentioned before, here at the end of Revelation, the last three chapters reverse the Genesis catastrophe. Here is this chapter where is um, Eden restored. How is that possible? Why is that possible? Remember I mentioned that a goal from Leviticus 25? You see, the purpose of the goal was that when a person found themselves to be so destitute that they had to give up their property, their inheritance, and sell themselves as slaves in order to, to pay their debts, the next of kin could step in. The story of Ruth is all about this in the Bible, if you ever want to read that. The... Um, Goal, kinsman redeemer, could step in and he could redeem his relative. Redeem his relative who had been sold into slavery. You've been sold into slavery to sin. He could redeem his relative's property. You've lost Eden. You could avenge the blood of a murdered victim. Evil and Satan has murdered many of God's relatives. And then the last thing, they could appear in a lawsuit as an advocate to make sure that justice was done. Can you imagine being that hopeless, that helpless, which, by the way, we kind of are because we can't redeem ourselves, and now you see your goal appear? Your goal has stepped in, has paid the debt you owed, and you are allowed to go free. God created us in his image. He pledged to rescue us, and he had the plan because he is our closest of kin. Amen. The children were kidnapped and were dying because of the wages of sin because, you see, the kidnapper never... No, excuse me. The kidnapper thought he had outsmarted God. He did not expect God to love us this much. He never expected love to win. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Amen. We are all amazed by the redeeming love that our goal could step in and we are going home. No wonder Revelation is full of praise and adoration and, and worship services. The kidnapper is destroyed forever. Earth is recreated as a new earth. And this is extremely significant because having the new earth means that Eden is restored. We have come around to have a new earth created. And why is this so significant? 
the goal was allowed to redeem the property that we lost. New earth is restored to his people because your goal stepped in. Blessed are those who have washed their robes. They have the right to the tree of life and the river of life and to enter into the gates of the city. You see, the significance of that, of restoring Eden, is that you now have the right to the tree of life. That means that you have immortality. Eden has to be restored by the goal in order for you and for God to dwell with you forever. The goal stepped in and provided it, and the lamb is everything. The lamb is everything. Maybe sometime this afternoon you might even want to read Revelation 21 and 22. It's a, it's a great pick-me-up. I read it a lot of times when I think I'm depressed. Before we close out this, part, this book, though, we want to look at two other things about the lamb that are revealed in um, the last part of Revelation. The lamb is the temple, and the lamb is the lamp and the light. I'm sure you've read several places in the Bible where the light, where Jesus refers to himself as the light. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. The word was Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But it's extremely significant that John mentions here that the lamb is the temple. You see, in the very first book John wrote, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the same word that tabernacled, temple. The Lord, the word became flesh and dwelt with us so that we would get an understanding of what it was to dwell with God. You see, God's plan all along was that we would dwell with him for eternity. And that is where he wants to be. You see, when humanity sinned, God already had a way to ensure that the relationship with us would continue and that's when the temple con or tabernacle concept was introduced because the sacrifices and the services there so explained to the world and to us how it was that he could tabernacle with his people. Now the new Jerusalem is restored because the lamb is the temple. And that means that God dwells with us forever. God dwells with us forever. So important that our goal stepped in and could restore our land, provide immortality. We have a place to go to dwell with God, immortality to be forever. And so we're going to end at the beginning. Remember how um, I told you at the beginning of this, Revelation 1.17 announced, don't be afraid, I am the beginning and the end. Here, at the very end of the book, we see I am the A and the Z, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Must be pretty important if God's reminding us of it again. I am here. Repeating this is emphasizing the fact that God is with us through every step of our way. 
Yes, I am coming quickly. Can you hear the parents' eagerness in that? God saying, yes, I am coming quickly. And the child's eager response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you hear Jesus saying, Sharon is alive and she's here in my arms. Can you see all of heaven full of signs saying, Shirley, welcome home. Kelly, welcome home. Roy, welcome home. Jim, welcome home. Linda, welcome home. Steve, welcome home. Marlene, welcome home. Vaughn, welcome home. Melissa, welcome home. Welcome home. Bill, welcome home. Mark, you get the idea. Welcome home, my child. I've been waiting so long. You see, this, this is the real history of mankind. The Lord triumphant, the villain destroyed, he's lost. The end of the book is all about his, his losing. The story is of the God's successful rescue of his kidnapped children. Now you know what I know. You don't have to fear. And God and his children lived happily ever after. The end. Which, thanks to the Lamb, is only the beginning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment to just say hallelujah, praise God. We are so blessed to have the assurance that you have redeemed us, that you have provided everything that is needed for this grand celebration, that you are faithful and true to restore us to our land and to live with us forever. We praise and honor your name today and just say hallelujah. Praise God.